Good morning, everyone, um, or good afternoon or evening for someone. Um, yeah, this song I'm going to share today is a song that came to me when I had been going through a lot of intensity, and uh, this song actually pulled me out of it. It's such a beautiful, soft song, and uh, yeah, and I just started learning how to play finger picking, so it's the first time I'm doing that too, so... It's very expensive for me. And the song is called My Savior. Me 
takes my hand and leads me to fly free. You take my hand and we. into that just sink in and expand the gratitude the for the changeless mind well welcome everybody wherever you are around the world 
happy to be here with you again. I was saying last night that uh, I'm on fire. I've kind of been on fire for weeks now. I don't know. I've been out. I've been out. They let me out uh, to go out around California, so I was up and down the coast, shining and sharing. And I guess I'm. I'm always happy when I'm sharing and extending and uh, most most joyful and gleeful in in that opportunity. And today we have a beautiful a beautiful opportunity to dive into our theme. But before I talk about our theme, I I want to let you know that the the name of this whole series of online retreats that started back uh, last year and rolled into this year. Now we're already into September this year, but the theme the theme is limitless and free, a life without compromise, but but all of these retreats, all of these online retreats are under the title Awakening from the Dream. And that's important. This is what our purpose is. Our purpose is to forgive illusions and awaken from the dream. It's a very high calling to wake up from this dream of separation and fragmentation. The ego fog seems kind of thick, and yet with a way shower like Jesus uh, giving us such a direct pathway, it, it stirs hope in our in our hearts, it, it stirs anticipation, it stirs joy that we can awaken from this dream of death and awaken unto eternal life. And so as our, our main heading is awakening from the dream, you know, it reminds me that this is not uh, how to live a better life in the world of form. This is not a series on how to make a better dream. Uh, this is actually not a series on self-improvement uh, because the self that God created is perfect and we're just waking up to the perfection of the Christ. Uh, this is not a series actually in making the world a better place or um, trying to improve anything or anyone or anybody uh, or any condition even in the world, this is a course in learning to forgive illusions and wake up from the dream. And so it's so beautiful to be here with all of you sprinkled around the world and to, to join with you so deeply in such a holy purpose. So you might say, we have been called by God to the most holy purpose there is, to forgive this dream and to wake up and as you begin to go much deeper with this purpose, it can seem a little bit uh, confusing at times, and it can seem a little uh, jagged. Uh, it can seem like there are some crises arise along the way. Uh, and I would say that's just unconscious darkness rising in the mind, uh, unconscious guilt coming up that it may pass through uh, on your journey inward to the light. But this is, is so important that we have a context. And so every time I have the opportunity to speak with all of you, I appreciate all your questions that you write in, and I appreciate how you share 
your heart and just pour pour your heart out and lay it all on the line of how you're feeling now and what you're experiencing. And then that's really the prayer that I have in my heart is that the Spirit, Jesus and the Holy Spirit will pour through me so that you can feel a calmness come over you. You can feel a safety. You can feel love wash over you. You can feel a, a security uh, that's tied into trust and trusting in the, your ability to take the steps, trusting in your own capacity to take the steps that are given you in this wake-up journey. And so, as Lisa and Kirsten were talking about last night, Lisa was mentioning it's really about unwinding from the self-concept uh, and releasing the guilt of... Uh, of people-pleasing, of trying to hold on to secrets, uh, to try to hold on to private thoughts, and try to just play a role uh, that was assigned by the ego. And uh, many of us have tried. We've tried to be, you know, good little boys and good little girls. And we've tried to be good men and good women. We've tried to be, at times, nice, uh, even though there's something we sense that's much deeper than being even nice. Uh, there's something more authentic uh, that is so vast and so amazing that is our true self, our divine self, that has been covered over by this world. And so, along with Limitless and Free, we have a life without compromise. And oftentimes when I'm traveling, uh, people will say, well, you talk a lot about letting go of people-pleasing, but is it okay for me to be friendly towards those around me? And I said, absolutely. Uh, Jesus wants us to be friendly. Jesus wants us to be kind. If you look at the Beatitudes that Jesus taught in the Bible, they're all about being loving, kind, gentle, sweet, just, you you can be that true friendliness only when you have no investments in the world. Because the friendliness will disappear as soon as you have an investment that the world should go a certain way, the script should go a certain way, the people should act a certain way, and you'll find that the ego has its own version of friendly and being nice, and then when things don't go the ego's way, it can turn quite vicious uh, and quite angry. It actually can, can go into rage if, the, if its expectations are not met. So, what we're going for is a friendliness, a kindness, a, a joy, a gentleness that's beyond personal identification. And when we talk about uh, compromise in this world, a lot of times people relate to it, but in a very personal sense. Like they'll say, well, it's, it's hard for someone to be a politician and to be non-compromising, because the definition of politician seems to involve taking a stand for or against uh, various issues. And uh, oftentimes, it's almost like walking a very fine line based on uh, 
political sentiment, what's in the polls and so forth. Or there can be a discussion of more of a personal sense of non-compromising, like if you're if you're a, a parent and you're raising children and you the children, you know, are wanting to have a little bit more autonomy as they grow up, uh, me and my and mine, uh, and then in teenage years, you know, everyone is aware of the idea of wanting personal autonomy and personal freedom, and then the, the compromise that seems to go on through through education, through parenting, through jobs, through politicians and politics. And it seems to be the whole world is somewhat built on, on compromise. And what we really learn from Jesus in A Course in Miracles is the very idea of linear time and space is a compromise of our true identity. That our true eternal identity is, is Christ has no beginning, has no end, was never born, never dies. Uh, the Christ never is a traveler through time and space. Uh, and basically all of linear time-space, it's called the time-space continuum, is a mask that was made to deny the eternal reality of who we are. And so in one sense you might say, if you're determined to wake up from this dream, you have to begin to cultivate a desire to want to know being, how to be, in place of linear perception and linear time. You have to cultivate a sense of wanting to be more than perceptual seeing. You have to cultivate a sense that when you seem to wake up in the morning, the eyes of the body open up and you see a perceptual world, you want to have something stir in your heart that says, I want to know who I truly am. I want to be as I was created by God. I want to know spirit. And Jesus is so helpful in the Course by really telling us that that the only seeming compromise was the belief that you could be something that you're not. The belief that you could take on a time-space identity, a body identity, in place of the eternal reality that God created you as, is the biggest compromise that it, imaginable. It's a, you might say, it's almost like a horrific compromise of trying to play, play a game with identity when the only thing that can ever be truly known is who you are. The Greeks had it right when they said, know thyself. Uh, basically, the Greeks were, were pointing, the ancient Greeks, when they said, know thyself, they were basically talking about, wake up and remember your real self. That self-realization that uh, Ramana Maharshi talked about, that Yogananda talked about, that mystics and saints have talked about for centuries and centuries, is the only thing worthy of your attention. To know your internal teacher, uh, which in Christian terms is the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, but your, your internal intuitive guide and teacher that will guide you step by step how to loosen from this world and loosen from this dream. There is absolutely nothing more important than coming in contact with that internal teacher. 
You know, every time I see you all, every time I do one of these, I just look at all of you around the world and my prayer goes out. May you all come to appreciate and follow the internal teacher that knows the way. And there's nothing greater, there's nothing more important. Now, in terms of the ego making up time and space, the ego invented linear time. There is no linear time in eternity. So the ego invented linear time, the ego invented past, present, and future as we perceive it in this world, as we're taught in the history, uh, past, present, and future, as we're taught in history classes. But um, you can imagine as if you were this eternal bright light and uh, and then you were tricked and into believing that you were something other than divine light and you believed you were something specific instead of just abstract light. And in the case, the metaphor I'm going to use is imagine uh, that you were tricked into believing you were uh, a nail, like a carpenter's nail, like a, a sharp steel nail, we'll say like a three-inch nail. And you were tricked into believing you were a nail instead of the Holy One, a perfect creation of God. And then uh, the ego was like, yeah, that's the case. And then in order to reinforce that belief in being this nail, it's going to put a context around you that will seem to anchor you into that false identity. So it's like taking that nail and taking a piece of oak wood, very hard wood, and just taking a hammer and hammering that nail, and the ego is like saying, there, go, pound you into this oak wood all the way down in there, and uh, you're never coming out. You're a nail and you're stuck in the wood for eternity uh, under the ego's perception, and you're so tight, you're so tight in that wood that you've been pounded in there that you are not going to ever escape the context. In fact, I like it when Jesus says, the world was made that you would never know who you are. The world was made. The purpose of the world, the purpose of linear time and space, was that you would never know who you are. Almost like that nail driven into this hard oak wood, and there it is. You're a body identity. Don't even don't even try, don't even think that you're coming out of that wood. Wood, we'll say, is being like time and space and the nail being the body driven in, uh, literally hammered like the, like the crucifixion, a, a body stuck on a cross. And a lot of times um, people look at the cross, I mean, a lot of traditional Christianity, the mistake is, is believing that the crucifixion was the way that mankind's sins were saved. That Jesus dying on the cross and shedding the blood, the blood of the Lamb, was going to be the redemption of the whole human race. But the only problem with that is the belief in sacrifice, that, that even that somehow God would require sacrifice of even one person or one body for the good of the whole, is the most ridiculous idea that you could ever uh, come across. That, that Jesus was the demonstration of divine love and through transcendence of seeming crucifixion of the body and, and 
rising up and demonstrating that there's nothing of this world that can can determine or hold the Christ and literally ascending uh, to the Father. That's the the good news. The good news is that the Christ cannot be defined or limited by time and space. But but there is no sense of uh, sacrifice required to know who you are. In fact, it just takes an admission of, I will not hide the mistake of separation, I will not, I will not cover it over, and I will not distract away from it. I will face it with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and see the nothingness of the belief in sacrifice, the nothingness of the belief in time and space. So we're going to talk about that. And I w- I've also said on a number of occasions, it's not like like you're just seemingly a nail that's been, a three-inch steel nail that's been hammered into a hard piece of oak wood. No, the, the ego made the nail. The nail is too simple. It just, it just goes in and can come out. Actually, it's a screw. You've been, you've been drilled and screwed into that, uh, to that hard wood. I mean, screwed in so tight that even if you had the best uh, nail remover, that nail remover is not going to get that screw out of that hard wood. You can try. If you, if you put a three-inch steel screw into hard wood, you can pull on that as much as you want. But you're going to have to get a screwdriver, and you're going to have to turn. And it's not easy. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're going to have to turn and turn, and there's going to have to be many turns to get you out of that wood. And that's what the human condition is. It's like a, a three-inch steel screw that's been screwed into a hard piece of oak. And... And if any of you want to try this out, go to your Ace Hardware store or go to your hardware store. You can, you can check this metaphor out. That's why I have a book called Unwind Your Mind Back to God. Because you have to literally unscrew, you have to unwind from this deep guilt that the ego has uh, perpetuated. So the world was made that you would not escape. The world was made that you would never know yourself. Everything about time and space is part of the defense against the holy instant. Everything about time and space, without exception, every, everything, every electron, every molecule, every dimension of time and space, everything of time and space is a defense against eternity. It's a defense against the light. So, to the extent that you value anything of the cosmos, you will block the light from your awareness. Uh, so, uh, Marina was talking uh, last night, Marina was talking about how you had that, that giant um, awakening experience, and then you said you left your life behind completely in Australia, and you came over to Buenos Aires, to rest at your parents' house and ponder. Uh, like, I don't have any burning questions you wrote in, but you said, I just don't know what to do with the rest of my life. Now, how do I live if I have an awareness from this vast experience that this world is a dream? Why would I put any effort into making myself something in the dream? Why would I want to build a self-concept? Why would I want to 
make something of myself as the world teaches everyone is supposed to do when it's pointless because a dream is a dream is a dream and a dream is not reality. So really your question was how do I invest in reality? Uh, and how do I withdraw my investment from the dream? Practically speaking, how do I live? Uh, I still have a body identification, it's less than it was before the big uh, awakening experience, but it's still there. And so, this is what I would say is, is when we have to tune into the guidance of what would you have me do, where would you have me go, what would you have me say, and to whom. That's what Kirsten was talking about last night. That's really the prayer now, is show me the way. Because basically Jesus tells us that everyone who comes to, to earth and to time and space comes without a self and then tries to make one as they go along. And all of us know that. That's what education's for. That's what our programming says. That's what our conditioning says. It would be like a fish that has this amazing experience. It's swimming its whole life, it's swimming, swimming, swimming in the ocean, and then one day it just has leaps out of the ocean and it lands on the beach. And immediately the ego says, better get back in that ocean because you will die on that beach. You can't live without water. And it's kind of like when you have a mystical experience or an awakening experience, the ego follows it up by saying, well, okay, what, I don't know what that was, but you better get practical and you better get back into the survival game because if you don't, you're going to die like the rest. And, and what we're really starting to see now is that, that everything that we've learned about this world and everything we've learned about time and space is the most giant compromise of trying to be something that we're not. Trying to be physical instead of spiritual. What I like about the Course too is, Jesus says in terms of being like, the mind is the activating agent of spirit. So Jesus is saying, you are mind, holy mind, and purely mind. Jesus says that uh, you, even in the Bible, you know, it's, you, you see the flesh or you behold the spirit. It's the same thing in the Course. You can't have a spiritual identity and have a physical identity because one denies the other. Uh, one's eternal and one's temporary. One lasts forever, one goes through changes and seems to die. One has no beginning and no end, the other has a birth and a death. They're the most different things, and actually one is real and one is not. And so, as a stepping stone towards now going towards that spiritual reality, it's like you come to a place of surrender of just saying, okay, whatever I seem to do to get me to this point, um, I can't assume that what's coming next will have anything to do with what came before. Because what came before, before the awakening experience, didn't seem to go anywhere. It was like going in circles. And then the awakening experience is like a lifting up, like, oh no, there's so much more. Don't think that anything you remember from your past has anything to do with the reality of who you are. And then, now you reach a point of saying, I'm ready to 
go into a mystical experience. I'm ready to go into a mystical lifestyle. I call it saints in training. Everybody is a saint in training. And, uh, and the best realization is to admit that you're a saint in training. And even that's just a step towards the, the reality of eternity. But, but saints are, are known for their devotion, their prayer life, their gentleness, their kindness, their lovingness, their friendliness. You know, that's, what, that's why we admire the saints, is because they have all these qualities of um, reflection of, of heaven. Uh, and we, we like to follow them. We like to, to see, what did you do? What's going on in your mind? How do you pray? How do you live? You know, we're really curious about, about the saints. We're curious about the mystics. So, uh, right away when I was watching on the screen last night, I, I know that over the years, over the last um, maybe like six or seven years, Jesus has been inspiring me with what I call my Spanish ministry. I, it started when I was the first country I went to outside of the United States and, uh, and out of Canada was Buenos Aires, Argentina. The plane landed right where you are. I landed in Buenos Aires in 2003. I knew nothing of the language, I knew nothing of the culture. I did 19 consecutive gatherings on 19 consecutive days all around uh, Buenos Aires, Martinez, uh, a bit to the south along the coast. Um, I had a female bishop taking me down to Miramar. Uh, it was just an ex it was weeks of just immersion, but uh, for me it was it was helpful because I didn't know anything about. Argentina, I knew nothing about anything. And I didn't even know about the, the, the political climate, I knew nothing about the, the history, uh, I knew nothing about uh, the economic conditions. At the time I went in 2003, that was a, there had been a, a major economic collapse, so I knew I could stay at a hotel and have a breakfast uh, along the ocean for like $7 American or $8 American, and I thought, this, what is this, a different planet? This is, I couldn't even relate to uh, a lot of the things. But it was Jesus showing me, like, well, you gave your life over. Now I want you to shine and share and, and let me speak through you. And, I, and Jesus sent in like 14 translators. Uh, everywhere I went, I had the best translators around me. It was all orchestrated for the glory of God, even though I knew nothing about it and I really didn't know anybody even in Argentina. I just had two uh, Course in Miracles facilitators, Patricia Basada, who's now written a book and has become more known. That was quite a few years ago when I first met her and Valerie Monk. They, they, were, they knew a lot of the Course groups, and so they were used by Jesus to put me in front of, of many Course groups. But it was my willingness to leave the United States, leave everything I was familiar with, and go down to uh, Buenos Aires that was like a launch of world travels, it's going to 44 countries. That was just, you might say, the third country out of 44. So it was at the very beginning. But I was very willing to, I give you my life. You show me to where to go. I will not be the judge of, of anything. And so now, that's, that was about 16 uh, years ago, now 
I, I do make it down. I've been to Colombia more recently and uh, down to Brazil. And I have a lot of dear friends, uh, a dear friend Pablo down there in northern Argentina and another friend Maria in Cordoba and people down there and Natalia is down in Buenos Aires. But basically now it's grown into a huge kind of a Spanish mission of just those that I've contacted that are inspired to give their life over. And it's grown huge in, in Mexico, and it's growing in Spain, and it's growing in, in different parts of, of the world, uh, the Spanish-speaking world. But that I see is just those who have answered the call and who now want to let their skills and abilities be used mostly for communication, words, laughter, hugs, uh, spreading joy and spreading inspiration. And it still involves a body identity. But the more you give yourself over to it, the more that the body of identity and the body affiliation gets, gets more faded. You, you start to have these experiences where you lose awareness of the body. You lose track of time and space when you're in your function of this glee and this joy and this happiness, you you lose track of, of time and space. It's been times for me too where I actually go so into the experience of the of the holy instant that I I don't even know what day it is or what year it is. I, I lose an awareness, uh, I lose a reference to time and space by giving myself fully over to to the spirit and just saying, Take me, beam me up. Do whatever it takes, uh, I'll do that. And so, uh, when I was hearing you speak, I was thinking, oh yeah, we have, even with Mexico, we really have such a, a very big Spanish ministry, and we don't really have uh, that many people that have bilingual skills. You know, it's like a rarity. You're like, a, you're floating along down the river, and what's that shiny little diamond floating down the river? Oh, it's Marina. Oh, uh, somebody... Get a net or something. Get a roll. Throw throw a boat. Throw a line out there. It's like we have to. We're we're happy when diamonds come along because a lot of the people that I work with they just they don't speak Espanol. I don't speak Spanish. Uh, I the more I'm immersed in it, you know. I I, I tom, te amo and mi corazón and you know. I mean it, I I pick it up. Uh, I. I don't even have, I mean, I probably could use an app, but I, I've never had a real strong calling to, to start to learn a bunch of other languages. It's just more, it's just bubbling and coming through as it's coming through. And I trust Jesus will bring in the translators and, and make sure it, it can, gets conveyed. But, but this is an example of how you go from an identity in the world where you have to survive, you have economic concerns. Where will I live? Will I do I do I rent a place? Do I buy a place? Do I do I travel? Uh, most people think it's very practical to have careers. I did too. I mean, that's I wouldn't have been in university uh, for ten years if I didn't have some kind of belief that uh, I needed a career. And so after ten years of of churning around, Jesus finally told me uh, when I was in in, the, in some woods. He said, "What are you doing this for? What's what's the purpose of of this ten years of education of undergrad and grad?" And I I went back and forth with him, but in the end, I had no 
he kind of dis dismantled all of my reasons for even having a career. Uh, because he was saying, I can take care of you much better than your past learning, and much better than, than jobs and, and investments and you know, all these things. He said, I can, I can do much better than that. You know, I, can, I can provide for you in the most glorious ways, and all you have to do is, is let go of everything you think you've learned. And I was like, yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be a job for sure, because there was so much accumulated learning and conditioning there. But to me, this is the phase of going from being perceiving yourself as a as a person in time and space to being used in a higher calling uh, for the good of the whole universe, which Mother Teresa said she had her calling. Gandhi had a calling. St. Francis had a calling. I mean, all of the Byron Katie uh, had a calling. Everyone who's, who's given themselves over to love, to unconditional love, feels like they're being called, in some sense, to something beyond this world. But they don't even know what that is. Jesus, as a teenager, uh, Jesus felt he had some kind of huge, huge calling, but he didn't know what it was. And, uh, you know, he had a family, and a mother, and a father, and, and, and a family, but he, he felt in his heart there was some kind of huge calling, but he didn't know what it was. And I don't think it fully revealed itself to him until he was about, uh, maybe in his early 30s. It took all that time, even for Jesus, before he could give a total surrender to the calling. Because prior to that, there was still this little bit of a doubt, like, what if? You know, is this, a, is this too crazy? Is this too far off the wall? And, and what if I go too far with forgetting about this world and uh, something disastrous happens? Jesus dictated to Helen Schuckman a, a pamphlet called The Song of Prayer. And it's an amazing addition to the Course. There's the Song of Prayer, there's the psychotherapy pamphlet. But in A Song of Prayer, Jesus says, the secret to, of true prayer is to forget the things you think you need. I'll say that again, because this goes against all the conditioning. <laughs> We're never told to forget the things we think we need. We're always told to think about, constantly think about the things you think you need. But Jesus says, forget, the secret of true prayer is to forget the things you think you need, and in this way you give them over to the Spirit to provide. It's not denying that there's still some provision necessary, but it is saying, don't use your past learning and don't use your ego to try to solve those things, because they'll just keep perpetuating year after year, decade after decade, until the body dies. You'll just, you're just going to be left depressed uh, when the body seems to get sick and die if you follow the ways of the ego. There's no escape if you follow the ways of the ego. So for me, I didn't deny that I had needs, I didn't deny that I had desires, I didn't deny that I still wanted things, but I did make a decision to 
say to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you show me. You say you can do a better job than I've done. You probably can, but still, you're going to have to show me. I'm going to need some proof of this. I'm going to need some actual experiences before I totally give myself over. So, the self-concept involves the personality self, but it involves all of time and space. It's, it's like human beings don't realize that they're that they're not going to get caught in quicksand in the future, that they're already in the quicksand. Uh, they're already uh, not even knee-deep. They're already in the quicksand up to their chins if they believe in the personality and time and space. And they're just trying to keep their head above the quicksand so they don't get suffocated. But most people feel like every day, with jobs, with household needs, with needs, psychological needs, with emotional needs, they feel like, most human beings feel like they're drowning every day. And they're just trying to make it through another day. It's, it's like using their, their past learning and all their skills and abilities. And we don't really see it, but the only hope of happiness, the only hope of salvation, the only hope of joy is to give ourselves completely over and say, I trust you and I know you will provide for me while I still believe I have needs as a human. You will provide those uh, sustenance, the, those experiences of being sustained even while I believe I'm human. For example, like last night, uh, Kirsten and uh, Lisa were on and Lisa mentioned she was a CEO uh, of a company. She was the head of a company when I first met her. And uh, she had many miracles, uh, getting help from her estranged father who she hadn't seen for years. He offered to give her some funding. She started this company. She went from being a nurse to owning a nursing staffing company and being the CEO, chief operating officer of, of the company. And yet when I met her, she was a slave to her teenagers. She, she, the teenagers had, were running the house, basically. They, they were like admirals and generals, and she was like the CEO in one realm. But when she got home, she was picking up the clothes, she's cooking all the meals, she's, she's burning the candle at both ends. She's burning the candle as a CEO, and she's burning the candle as super mom. She's got no time to meditate. She's got no time to read the Course. She's so enslaved in the self-concept uh, that she has no time to pray. You know, it's all pleasing others, everything. Pleasing, pleasing, pleasing. Pleasing at home, pleasing at work. And she was tired. She was actually really worn out uh, when I first met her. And I, I just went to her house. I said, well, if you, want, if you want to heal here, let's join in the truth and let's join in the guidance and we'll, we'll unwind from this thing. And she eventually did. When I met Kirsten, um, I guess if you've read Kirsten's book, uh, uh, Modern Day Mystic, you know, or not Modern Day Mystic, um, what's the name of it? I Married a Mystic. Oh, that right. The other, there was another friend of mine who was working on Modern Day. I Married a Mystic it was, whole, was the whole story of how she had head injuries from two accidents and she came from 
disabilities, literally to learning to take on a function to serve, serve God and serve spirit. And then, yeah, that's many, many years ago. So now you see she's very bright and glowy and, and present and everything. But, but she had to unwind uh, from that self-concept. Uh, even with her mother, her mother introduced her to the Course, but then Kirsten started to go so deep with the Course that her mother one time was just raging at God, like, why are you taking my daughter from me? You know, I introduced you to the Course and now you take her from me. It, it's part of that dismantling of the family self-concept, you know, that, that's still another concept, another layer of guilt. Now what I want to share with you, Marina, and I want to share with everybody too, is this idea that that if we use the symbol of the cross, there's the horizontal timeline, it's the horizontal beam, and then there's the vertical beam, which is your calling to awaken to God. And the point is to get so into the vertical, so devoted to the vertical, so aligned with the vertical and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that eventually the horizontal plane will disappear. That's the meaning of, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. The beginning and the ending, that, that horizontal beam will just keep collapsing and collapsing with every miracle, and then finally you're just left with the, with the vertical. The horizontal disappears completely. But I want to let everybody in and, and let you know why holding on to, the, to time is a defense against your true nature. Everything that you believe about linear time, about the ambitions and goals of the future, about the regrets and, and grievances of the past, everything that you believe about the body, everything you believe about time, is a part of false responsibility. And what I mean by false responsibility is that your only responsibility without question is to accept the correction in your mind for the belief in separation. And that is it. You only have one responsibility. How simple can that be? It's not like Ten Commandments. Okay, tell me what are my ten responsibilities, God? I'll, I'll try to tick them off one by one. No, there's only one. There's not five, there's not even three, there's not even two. The only responsibility is to accept the atonement for yourself. And that atonement is, that, is the vertical, is your answering the call of God. When you answer the call of God, everything that you seem to need will be provided effortlessly, and it will all just come very naturally to you, because that's your only responsibility. And contrast that with the horizontal plane. Responsibility for work responsibilities, family responsibilities, responsibilities for feeding the body, clothing the body, feeding other bodies, clothing other bodies, responsibilities for, for mowing the lawn, responsibilities for keeping up your house, responsibilities for maintaining the body, all the, the teeth and the gums and the dental things, maintaining all the systems of the body. You know, it's, it's very, very stressful in, on the timeline of linear time because, because of all this false responsibility. 
The only responsibility we have is to wake up to the I am presence that is prior to time. Before Abraham was, I am. That's the only responsibility we have. And yet, when we believe in these horizontal responsibilities, it's like that screw, that steel screw I mentioned, it's, it's drilled in to that hard wood. All of our programming and conditioning is saying, you have to take care of all these things, and you have to perpetually do it until you die. So you're basically caught up in a quicksand of false responsibilities, and then you wonder, why am I not limitless? Why am I not free? Why am I not joyful? Why am I not gleeful? Why am I not happy? It's because the mind is so caught up in false responsibilities that it, it is blocking itself from accepting the one true, the one responsibility that it has. In A Course in Miracles, in the text, Jesus says that you are not responsible for the error, but you are responsible for accepting the correction. Every time you take responsibility for a body, for any bodies, for your partner's body, for your own body, for your family bodies, for your children bodies, for your parent bodies, for your community bodies, for your neighborhood bodies, for your country bodies, Anytime you take responsibility or project responsibility from the mind onto the timeline, onto bodies, that's false responsibility. And, and that just means that that screw is still wound into that guilt. And that, that even if you make some changes in form, which can be very helpful as far as just following the guidance, but you're not going to come unwound from that self-concept until you fully let go of the belief in personal responsibility, in the, relief, in the belief in horizontal responsibility. Now, I know this is radical, because I know some of you might be saying, well, what about morality? There's got, there's got to be some sense of morality, the good things and the bad things. Well, as you go into the holy instant, you're going to find out that the ego made up morality, too. What about ethics? I mean, the whole field of ethics is, is coming down to right behavior and right action. Doesn't that have a place? Of course it does, but it's not a system based on analyzing behavior, like ethics. It's what you do comes from what you think. And as long as you have ego thoughts, your actions will still be motivated, at least in part, by the ego. You may have some inspiring, guided thoughts that really come through, but, but as long as you still haven't come back to that level of mind, then you're still going to be analyzing behaviors. You're still going to be counting the good behaviors against the bad behaviors and hoping you have more good than bad. That's what human beings do. They go through life, they're just praying that they have more good, <laughs> by the time the end comes, that they have more good than bad. They hope they, they have more good than bad. And, and Jesus doesn't think that way. The Holy, Spirit, they, the Holy Spirit doesn't think that way at all. The Holy Spirit knows the perfection beyond good and bad behaviors, beyond right and wrong actions, is purity of mind, and blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. 
So what's so beautiful about this is if you give your devotion to this purification process in your consciousness, that is the most important thing you can do. If you say to the Holy Spirit, bring it on, I am ready to purify my, my consciousness. I am ready to, to stop trying to bring the truth into the illusion. I'm ready to start questioning all my beliefs, questioning my purpose for everything that I do, and I'm ready to be lighted, lighted up. I want to know the light of heaven. I want to know the, the, the joy uh, and happiness and the freedom, the unlimited freedom of a mind that's free of judgment, that's just pristinely quiet, that's pristinely still. That's what I want to know. I will do anything it takes to move in that direction. You saw Lisa and Kirsten last night. Those are just two witnesses. Uh, I, I heard that word uh, used last night. Those are two witnesses of, of a mind given over to the awakening process, the, the awakening, the ascending uh, process in the mind. Uh, it doesn't matter what you did in the past. It doesn't matter what concepts you held, mother, father, sister, uh, brother. It, it doesn't matter whether you were a, a CEO of a company or you've never uh, held any kind of position in this world. As long as there are roles in the mind, then there's going to be guilt. And the only role the only role that you will ever be satisfied with is forgiveness. But forgiveness is like a blanket of peace that, that spreads off over the whole cosmos. It's, it's not a personal self-concept, it's a forgiven world. If you were going to have one concept left in your mind before you disappear into the heart of God, wouldn't you want it to be forgiveness? Wouldn't you want it to be the happy dream? Wouldn't you want it to be a healed mind? If, if you were going to have one concept, that's the kind of concept you want to have. You want to have a concept that it can be shared with everyone, not a personal concept that is isolated, alone, separate. It's based on private thoughts. It's based, based on private minds. The personality self is a compromise of the greatest magnitude. So you will never achieve a holistic personal perspective. You will never achieve a point where you say, I have finally arrived as a person. I have, I've done everything on my bucket list. I've achieved everything I could ever do it. I have accomplished everything I could think of in time and space. And, and now I can I can take my, my personal accomplishment and I can bow like Truman in the Truman Show. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No, that's not what you're aiming for. You're not aiming to be an illumined person. You're aiming to transcend the mask, the persona of separation that is part of the personality self. You want to merge with all that is. You want to merge and, and know yourself in the quantum field of, of the actuality of everything is connected. That's the only thing that will satisfy you in regards to this world of time and space, is 
the forgiven world, the happy dream, the quantum field. And anything short of that, you will still be attempting to hold on to an idol that was made to take the place of your divine spiritual reality. So, that's the context. Every time I do these talks, I want to give you the, I want to give you the full context so that when I start to go into the prayers of the heart, when I start to answer your questions, that we can do it in the, this larger context. That, that you don't want to live a life of compromise, but as long as you cling to a body identity, there will always be compromise involved just in that identification. And the more that you take off and you go higher and higher and higher, uh, then you move towards that light, that, that who you are, that who everyone is, that spiritual light, that's where the, the guilt disappears. That's where the innocence is. That's where you see there never was a, a reason to be guilty at all. It was all just a made-up scheme from the ego, but you never actually had any reason to be guilty for anything, because you have divine innocence. So that's pretty, pretty deep, but let me start using some examples. Let me use some examples that you might be able to relate to, because if you're going to go from being a human being into a, a perfect being of, of pure light, there has to be a transition, and that's where you discover your calling. I was thinking this morning when I was praying before this session, and, and the word that came to mind was Joel, the name Joel. How many of you uh, have ever heard of Joel Goldsmith? There we go, I see some hands. How many of you have ever heard of Joel Osteen? Okay, we're going to use a couple Joels here. Because they're jewels. Joels are jewels. Uh, Joel Goldsmith was a mystic who founded the Infinite Way. It was like a little, a bit of a spin-off from Mary Baker Eddy and Christian Science. And amazing books, amazing extension from Joel. Uh, Joel was married and he simply went into his mind deeper and deeper and deeper, and then he he began speaking about this, letting the Spirit speak through him, letting the Spirit write through him, and a number of amazing books on grace, on God's love. It was, this was another guy who who couldn't, he couldn't be silenced about God. He He had such an adoration of God that it just came pouring through everything, and it just, it was his life's devotion. Now there's Joel Osteen. Some of you know, Joel and his wife have a, a mega church down in Houston, Texas, and uh, and he gets up uh, at the pulpit, and this big former, uh, it was like a, a, a athletic arena. It's so huge that the church was a former arena, athletic arena. It's so massive that he speaks at the pulpit, and it's not just in that church in Houston, but he has people around the world, tens of millions of people listen to Joel 
talk about God every week. I'm not talking a few thousand, a few hundred thousands. I'm talking about every week tens of millions of people tune in to listen to Joel. Why do they do that? Because he's so positive. <laughs> he's so positive. He, he's got a message of love. Because he delivers practical messages. Because he, he delivers messages that people can relate to. Because he does it with joy. Because he does it with humor. Because he does it with sincerity. That's why tens of millions of people around the globe turn in to listen to Joel, is because he's letting the positive message of, of God's love pour through him week after week after week after week. And people need to hear that. People want to hear that. That's part of their nurturing. That's how they get spiritually fed. Now, look at your life as, as it seems to be now. And and just take a moment to look at the Joels, the two Joels, Joel Goldsmith and Joel Osteen. That's what we're talking about, about the body is solely to be mean, used as a means of communication. That's the only reason you have a body, is to inspire, to bless, to shine through, to sing through, to laugh through, to hug through, to nurture through, to bless through. That's the only reason there is for a body, because that's the Holy Spirit's and Jesus' use for the body. It's, it's a tool that can be used to reach a state of mind of, of unity with God. And that's what I mean by the steps. Uh, you know, Joel Goldsmith was, he was a bit more identified more as, like you might say, a Christian mystic in some ways. Not the, same, not the case with Joel Osteen. I mean, if you ask Joel and his wife, they would say, uh, we're, we're far from mystics, you know. But they would tell you, are they communication devices for, for Jesus? Oh, yes. Are they communication devices for God? They're just letting the Spirit use the props, including cameras and uh, broadcast equipment and so on and so forth, to, to bring a message of, of hope. Uh, of hope for an awareness of, of God's will. Uh, it's really like a prayer. It's a ministry that's a prayer for coming into contact with God's will. It's no different than for you and I, though. It's the same thing. You know, that's what Marina was asking. Marina was saying, what do I do now? How do I live my life? Uh, where do I go from here? And it is a calling. You're, you're called into a, a function. Now, admittedly, I will tell you that this is just a temporary phase. This is a transition phase that you will go through. It's not the be-all, end-all. Why? Because what I'm going to tell you is your true function has nothing to do with the body. Your true function is forgiveness, and forgiveness is what? In the mind. And as you go deeper into your function of forgiveness, your perception of the whole world is going to change. You're not going to identify yourself as a body. You're, you would laugh at the idea that you're a body in the state of forgiveness. That would be the funniest idea. If the ego said, aren't you concerned about your body? You would just burst into laughter. 
in your mind. <laughs> Laughter in the mind. Because true forgiveness takes you beyond the perception of individual parts, individual bodies. You go into the whole. You go into the unity. You go into the unification of mind. You start to see everything is mind. Everything is an idea in the mind. And there are no parts in this unification. Everything is holistic. And, and that's your function. So, your function in the end is not something that you do or do not do. And I will tell you that as long as you're identified with doing, with the doer, as long as you're identified with the body, you, you cannot have a full, full-blown experience of forgiveness. You will still be holding forgiveness off to the extent, I did this, I did that, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. That's still the ego talking in terms of the doer. But your function is not a doing or a not doing. In the end, you know, Helen Schuckman, who was the scribe of the Course, that was like seven years of her life that she was taking down shorthand the dictation from Jesus while her collaborator was rubbing her on the back, Bill Thetford, and typing, typing the words out with one hand and, and comforting <laughs> and assuring and supporting Helen because she was very afraid of what was coming through her, this Course in Miracles. So he was typing with one hand and comforting her with the other hand, playing his part in bringing the Course into this realm. But in the end, Helen still thought it was important, like, okay, I, I did it, you know, barely, I, I did it. And at the, in the end, Jesus said, well, it, it really wasn't about A Course in Miracles, what, what, what's it about, <laughs> if it wasn't about all that I went through for this Course in Miracles, and now you're telling me that's not really the point? And he said, yeah, I love you. It was all about the love. It was all about the love. And what does the Course in Miracles say about love? Jesus says in A Course in Miracles, love is content and not form of any kind. Love is content and not form of any kind. Wow! So, what does that mean? Love is content. Well, there's a, there's a part in the Beyond All Idols section of A Course in Miracles where Jesus says, God knows not form. What a sentence! God knows not form. Divine abstraction, divine light, is such a pure vibration, it's, it's creation, and creation is so high that it transcends the belief in a body or a world or time and space. You know, even some of the, the songs that are get popular, you know, remember that one, God is watching us, God is watching us, God is watching us from a distance. Sorry. <laughs> No, God is not watching from a distance. God is all in all. There is only God, as you read from Joel Goldsmith. There is nothing but God. Christ is an idea in the mind of God, and therefore Christ is all in all. Uh, there was one question I had here too. I think um, I think it was asked... Yesterday, I think, 
Well, it was toward the end there. I think it was... Uh, Cecilia, you were on last night. Cecilia Leo from, from Reno. And um, I looked at your questions... Thank you for, for expressing all that you did, because you wrote about four questions. But one of the questions Cecilia wrote in, that, that she's, she's brand new, but you wrote, I think it was your first question, you wrote, in one video, you, David, mentioned that God is cause, and I, or we, am the effect. I mentioned God is the cause, and Christ is the effect. Could you give me an example? No, I can't. Why can't I give you an example? You said, I do not understand. Because, because what we're talking about is eternal creation. God is an eternal being, and Christ is an eternal being. God is the creator, the cause. Christ is the effect. Even in the Bible, when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, there's two parts to that statement by Jesus, I and the Father. Now, he wasn't talking about Jesus, the man, and the Father. He was saying, I, the Christ, I, the I am presence. You know, before Abraham was, I am. Before time, before there was bodies, before there even seemed to be time, the Christ and God are, are one in spirit. He basically saying, the Father and I are one, is saying, we both are eternal in spirit. But that's what we have to wake up to. That's why we don't have any examples of that. Jesus was, was a good way-shower. He was a good demonstration of that love. He, he was so kind, and he was so friendly, and he could seem to walk on water, and he could, he could heal the sick, he could raise the dead. He had no limits. Talk about a life without... Uh, Without limits, <laughs> Jesus was a real good demonstration at the end of his life. When, when he was going around teaching with the apostles, he was a really good demonstration, but he was pointing to something that was beyond time and space. He was pointing back to the kingdom of heaven within. He was talking about the I am presence. And so what Jesus was doing is he was showing that that when he let go of Jesus the man, when he let go of Jesus the personality, when he let go of Galilee, when he let go of Nazareth, when he let go of all of those concepts that he once believed in, he could honestly say, I and the Father are one, because we share the same spirit. But Jesus always was pointing to the prime creator. He was never saying... Jesus never actually said, I am God. He said, I and the Father are one. Even with Jesus, there were two parts, because God is the cause, and Christ, which is our true identity, our spiritual identity, is the effect. Now, I'm glad you brought that up, though, Cecilia, because I want to tie it into what I've been talking about this morning. This world of time and space is the belief that cause and effect are separate. That the Son, or, or that the Christ, could leave the Creator and go off wandering and make up a new identity that God didn't create. 
and it's a time-space identity that involves a body and, and cultures and traditions and everything. So even though the truth of creation is that, that cause and effect are together, and that's what heaven is all about, God is cause, Christ is effect, that's, that's a fact. There aren't any examples because there's, there's no time and space involved in that relationship. So that's why there are no examples of it. But the ego is the belief that, that cause and effect are separate and that they're reversed. So what does that even mean? Well, you mentioned, Cecilia, that you immigrated to the United States. I think you said you were around 25. You came up, you took education as a major, and you learned... Education, that's where your degrees, your your uh, coursework was in education. I can certainly relate to that. I was in the University of Cincinnati for 10 years uh, full-time um, from undergrad and graduate school. But all of that education involved different, um, different aspects of the human condition. You know, I studied urban planning, <laughs> I studied art and architecture, I studied engineering, I studied, uh, I did, I studied I, women's studies was in there, philosophy, um, mathematics, cal trigonometry, calculus. I mean, I, there's so many different aspects to just the word education. History. My mother was a teacher. She was a history teacher. So I was saturated with education. I was saturated. You and I can relate to that. We both have been saturated with education. And yet, all of that education, any discipline that you pick out of any of those things I mentioned, all involve the belief that cause and effect are in form, and that the cause comes first, and the effect comes second. We couldn't bake a cherry pie, you and I, if we didn't have some cause and effect beliefs around the dough and the cherries, and heating them up to a certain temperature for a certain length of time, and then pulling that pie out of the oven. Cause and effect. Baking, even baking, anything. Human beings, uh, human conception, you know, a, a, an infant coming from, from mom and dad, you know, everything we were taught in, in biology, in sex education about an egg, and a sperm, and then uh, coming together in, in uh, the beginning of the gestation process of, of, a, of a fetus growing, cause and effect. You know, there's a cause for everything in this world, and then there's effects. It doesn't matter, even in physics. Let's, let's take physics. That seems to be a whole different region, area. For every action, there's a reaction, you know. For, you know, there, even the Big Bang, the theory of how the world came about, if we get into to that, they postulate there was a Big Bang that hurled this molten lava and energy, and then as the, it cooled down, the gases cooled down, they formed the, the, sphere, the sun and the spheres. You know, even our, our descriptions in science of how this world seemed to come about, cause, Big Bang, effect, cosmos over over millions of years so what i had to finally learn through jesus in the course was my entire education every single thing that i ever learned was based on causes in the world and effects you know 
if you if a body falls down on cement and and the knee starts bleeding, that's the cause and effect relationship where knee of flesh hitting concrete at a very hard impact and blood coming out from the knee. There's a cause-effect relationship. All of science, all of Newtonian science, which is based on the scientific method, we know that very well, gathering your experiments, your, your empirical data to form your conclusions. Start off with a hypothesis, test it out in settings, as many different experiments as you can to get a good sample, and then draw the conclusion from that sample. And then that becomes part of science, that's part of medicine. The whole field of medicine operates in Newtonian physics. Most of, of physics still operates from, from Newtonian. The quantum is a whole different thing. Quantum physics is, doesn't have the same assumptions. So now if we apply it to Cecilia and David, for example. Okay, Cecilia and David are just projections of little personalities. You know, one's in a wheelchair, she's wearing a red top, David's sitting in a chair, and David's got a blue top. There's so many, their age, their race, their sexuality, their gender, all the things are there. But that's just a projection of what? Of the ego of the belief that I can be something other than spirit. And, and if we look at our history, okay, David was born in Cincinnati, Ohio in 1958, Cecilia was born and lived in Mexico City, uh, and they both grew up and they became adults and went through these educational experiences, and then both of them at some point along the way discovered A Course in Miracles, and then it took, it sounds like for you, it took a while before you really, like, were drawn to it and really dove into it. But now, here we are, we're, this encounter right now is saving us thousands of years because we're getting a bigger context to why we feel discomfort. It's an identity problem. To why we feel we have to struggle at all. It's an identity problem. And we're now starting to realize that we have a calling or a purpose to shine this light that we ourselves have blocked in our minds. But it's still there. The darkness can't put the light out. Doesn't matter what ego beliefs we have about time, space, identity, they can't put the light out. What God created one is still one forever. Light creates light, and no matter what density we may try to lay and cover that light over with, it remains itself. The I amness of us is still there. That's the effect of God. That's, that's the effect. The light that we are is an effect of a most glorious creator, which is neither male nor female. And, and our identity, in reality, we, we aren't a gender. You know, we don't have a gender. We, we are just pure, radiant, eternal light is, is who we are. So I'm glad you brought that up because I talk about cause and effect in a lot of things. I've even told people, one of my online retreats, I said, if you really, I think I gave Esther the assignment, I said, go Google my name with reversing cause and effect. And 
and check. There's there's a whole booklet online, a PDF, and there's there's even a recording of me doing a very deep, profound session called Reversing Cause and Effect. What does that even mean? It's that we're so used to seeing the causes in the world that we forgot that our mind is causative. We forgot the power of our thoughts. We forgot the power of our mind. And we projected causation out into the world. So we're afraid of nuclear bombs. So we're afraid of of war. We're afraid of hurricanes, like the one that just came. We're afraid of all tornadoes. We're afraid of diseases. We're afraid of catching something. All of this is the projection of causation from the mind to the world. And it's like going into a movie theater and getting all caught up in the movie. We forget that we're even watching a movie when we're in a movie theater. Because we get so enamored with that movie that our consciousness feels like it's, it's literally in the movie. And that's, what, that's a good metaphor for forgetting the power of our mind and the power of our true causation. Uh, because the mind is, is where thoughts are, and then thoughts either are from God, they're either part of creative reality or they're projections of the ego. You either you either project with thoughts, which are not our real thoughts, but these are these ego beliefs and, and thoughts, attack thoughts and judgments, project out a world of attack and judgments, or we go inside and we start to think with our Creator. We start to align, I am Spirit, I am as God created me. I am the Holy Son of God Himself. I, when we start to identify with those workbook lessons, we come back to the power of our mind, and we don't deny that power anymore. Another person who wrote in, I think Gary uh, wrote in, this was Gary's first time, so you had, I think, four questions there, Cecilia, and then Gary, I think, had um, a few here, too. Yes, Gary Stoko from New Mexico, new participant. Uh, I see there's one, two, three questions um, that Gary's writing in. And um, some of the things I think in the first, um, the first question I've addressed, uh, the second question is, is one about what do I do when I'm perceiving a situation arising in the worldview that has a rather strong apparent consequences. And then, um, in this case, uh, even though it's a false perception, he says, in this case, legal pain. So you're describing um, this has to do with a tax audit and that uh, it still was related to problems in terms of um, concerns about uh, there even being like a penalty or punishment uh, that could possibly arise out of a, a tax audit in the future. And, and again, these are the kind of things I've had to face, all of us have to face these kind of things when they rise up in our perception and we feel a threat, in this case like an audit, uh, a government audit or something, we, we really do come back to our thoughts and beliefs and we come back to prayer. Because if there's something that we perceive as an external threat, 
the spirits inside saying, well, it's actually, the thread is inside, the thread is holding on to a self-concept that God did not create. And the thread is trying to maintain time and space, linear time in the mind. That's the greatest threat, is the light, which would undo everything that we've become accustomed to, and time and space, and everything that we believe in. So, so what it does is it starts to turn the threat from being perceived as an external threat, which is an outcome, like an outcome of an audit, uh, whatever that would be, and the threat to the person that that could involve, like paying a penalty or a financial cost or something like that. And then when we start to really reverse the cause and effect, we can start to realize, wow, even if I believe I'm Gary, even if I believe I'm, I'm here and I'm, and I'm dealing with this situation, I have the power of prayer, I have the power of guidance, and when I've had those kind of situations in my life where there seemed to be an external threat, I remember I would just pray so much uh, where if somebody was threatening uh, some, some way, threatening a lawsuit, threatening something, that I would go into prayer and I would just say, I have no idea how to address this, but I know, Jesus, you want me to be defenseless, you want me to be meek, you don't want me to point the finger, you don't want me to uh, defend myself and attack. I know that that's the case, but I have no clue how to respond to this. Um, and Jesus would would tell me what to do. And in fact, oftentimes it was always loving. It was always extending a message of 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 in calmness and gentleness and love. Uh, I would do it, even though the ego would be like raging, like you cannot be gentle and loving and meek in this situation. You need to, that is just plain, they would say that is outright wrong. You better, you better let them, you, you get this off your chest, you tell them, you give them what for, and you, you warn them, and sometimes the ego would say, you, you need to threaten them. They threaten you, you threaten them, you know, an eye for an eye. You respond the same way that they're treating you. Vigo even likes to use that, uh, that thing, uh, do unto others as they would do unto you. And so the ego says, yeah, look at the way the others are treating you, attacking you. Now you counterattack before they have a chance to attack too much. You see, the ego is, is so fearful and so full of fear and guilt that all it knows is attack and defense. And for those of us that believe we're in time and space, we really need guidance to handle some of these situations that come up. Because the first reaction oftentimes is, Scotty, defense shields up, you know, throw our shields up. How much power have we got in, in the engine room? Let's get the defense shields up as fast as possible. What I really, though, enjoyed was your third question, which was, um, throughout the non-dual teachings, mind seems to be commonly referenced as the place of duality origination, and heart, capital H, is where oneness, stillness resides. Ramana pointed with caution at the heart center as the bed of truth. He went on to say that one cannot know the self with the mind. 
Can you help me to understand how this discrepancy exists, please? I have always felt aliveness and or stillness from the heart area and not the mind. Should it matter where one focuses attention away from a life lived identified? Is not the heart close to Jesus and the Holy Spirit? With gratitude and peace, Gary. So I thought I'd take a moment to um, address that. Because when you hear uh, Ramana, Marmana's talks or, or the devotees in the lineage of Ramana, whether it's you know, Gangaji or, or Muji or any of the ones, a lot of Advaita Vedanta teachings, the mind, even Krishnamurti, amazing Krishnamurti, the, the mind is identified as the origination of, of, the, uh, of the separation, of the, of the distortion. And so you might say that um, the heart is seen as, as the, the wisdom that's calling you back to that pure oneness, and the mind is, the, is equated with the ego, actually. Um, so we could say in many, many non-dual teachings, the mind is equated with the ego. And then all of a sudden comes A Course in Miracles, which is the ultimate of non-dual teachings because of where it comes from. Jesus, that's right, the way, the truth, and the life, the one that walked on water, the one that healed the sick, raised the dead, resurrected uh, to come back, and, and, you know, all these miracles that are talked about and everything. Jesus is like the pinnacle of non-dual teachings because of the transcendence. This is, I, I and the Father are one. This is, this is the blazing light of, of pure oneness. And, and he has a system that he uses in A Course in Miracles where he does not equate the mind with the ego. He says the mind in its pristine state is divine mind, and he even talks about the mind of God with a capital M. Uh, he talks about the mind of Christ with a capital M, and he's equating that divine mind with as close as you can come to spirit. In fact, whereas a lot of the non-dual teachers, even Eckhart, Eckhart Tolle, Tolle, when you equate the mind with the ego, you've taken something that Jesus describes as the mind as the activating agent of spirit. That's really important. The activating agent of spirit, oh my gosh, that's my whole pathway back to spirit is the mind. And, and it's being discounted when it's just associated purely with the ego. So Jesus is teaching us that the mind, when it falls asleep, when it's a sleeping mind, it, it has two parts. One part that is still connected to the Holy Spirit, and one part that is uh, the ego, the wrong mind, the wrong mind and the right mind. And Jesus is using that, that metaphor of wrong mind, right mind, to say, you need to tell the difference between the part of your mind that is guilt-inducing, fear-inducing, pain-inducing, shame-inducing. You need to tell the difference between the imposter in your mind and the right mind where the Holy Spirit abides. The, the part of your mind that's, that 
that contains the gateway back to heaven, the remembrance of God. So we're getting it right from the master, which the word master gets tossed around a lot, but I'm saying with Jesus, master is a very appropriate <laughs> term uh, for Jesus Christ because it's, it's, it's a purely lit up mind that now is with us still that is calling us to wake up to our eternal reality. The Master is saying, I'm using this metaphor of right mind, wrong mind, and this relates to what I was just talking about with Cecilia, because the right mind knows that only the mind is causative, and nothing of time and space is real. That's how clear that right mind is. It, it's Talk about maya, talk about illusion, you know, talk about the the changing and the, the the distraction away. It knows that all everything of time and space is an illusion, and it also knows that mind is causative. The, the wrong mind believes the causation is in form. You know, what happens to the body can determine when you die as a body. Uh, what happens in terms of of germs or DNA or um, viruses or nuclear uh, radiation or anything of time and space is causative and then the body is just an effect of what seems to surround it and what it, it is made of. So if, if there's things in the body that seem to go wrong, there's the whole DNA thing, it's, it's like uh, this idea of having uh, hereditary illnesses that's very much based on time, all false. Um, the idea that radiation could could kill a body, that's all false. Uh, the, the idea that there's conditions, certainly bodies can seem to be in the wrong mind, harmed by other things, because the wrong mind is the belief that there are causes in the world and effects in the world when really the world is a projection of unreal effects based on an unreal cause, and that unreal cause is the ego. It's just a belief in separation, it's not a reality. And that's a belief in the mind, but also the corrections in the mind. So any kind of teaching that totally discounts the mind, I call it like, uh, this is, uh, sometimes people try to simplify the spiritual journey and I've been traveling around the world for three decades, and people will sit with me and they'll say, David, it's really simple. The longest journey that you'll ever take is the 13 inches between the head and the heart. And, and I say, well, maybe you should check my Levels of Mind uh, website, where I talk about all these nuances in the mind that Jesus has taught me, and I talk about like five levels and they're very important that those five levels become completely in alignment, because if these five levels of mind are not in complete harmonious alignment, there will be discord, there will, there will be maya taken to be real, and there will be sleep induced, unless these five levels are in alignment. What are the five levels of mind? It's concentric circles, and the outer layer is the gross perceptual world that's perceived, you know, with the mind through the five senses. Um, that's the perceptual realm. Then underneath that is the realm of emotion. 
Underneath that is the realm of thought or cognition. Underneath that is the realm of belief. And then the very core, which you may call the heart, that's why it's so important, is, is desire. So, why was Ramana a way shower? Why was Buddha a way shower? Why was Jesus a way shower? It's, it's their state of emptying the mind. That's what Buddha called it. Ramana says the same thing. Jesus, you empty the mind through desiring nothing of this world. Kirsten talked about that last night. And as you go into that place of desirelessness, you wake up to oneness. Because what is, simply is. There, there is nothing, a des there is no desire for something to be different in that which is actual. Or Byron Katie called it, you know, love is. What is, is, is reality, is, is pure love, is pure light. And then the ego is the belief that desire can be splintered. That instead of Jesus saying, let thine eye be single, the ego says, no, let thine eye be many. <laughs> and pursue many different things out of a belief in lack that Lisa talked about last night. When you want something from the world, when you're still pursuing something of this world, then, then there's an underlying belief that something is lacking. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a pursuit of some outcome, of some, some form outcome. It would be totally seen as meaningless. So, you're really asking, I think it's beautiful, when I talk about living in the heart of God, I'm talking about coming to that place where, like Kirsten mentioned, uh, actually was mentioning the 23rd Psalm last night, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That was a Psalm of David from, from the Old Testament. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's that pristine state of mind that is the heart of God, that is the heart of Christ, that is the heart of Ramana, that is the heart, heart of Muji, that is the heart of, of, of everything, in which there is the stillness, there is just perfect presence, divine presence. And so, when you're using dualistic paths, Whenever I'm listening to Eckhart talk, or I'm listening to uh, Muji talk, or anyone talk, the spirit in my mind is is interpreting in a way that I can I know what they're talking about. I I know that there's an there's an understanding, there's a presence that we all share. I went to Sahaja, I was over there. Muji and I are hugging and 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 sharing and rejoicing and everything and. And then Muji's like, oh, you got to come. I, I've got a Jesus chapel uh, here. It's a haja. You got to come there. And then I go in, and, and he's painted paintings. Muji's put paintings of Jesus all over this beautiful little chapel. And I'm there. And it's all the same to me. I mean, I, I feel the, the presence and the love and the oneness. And, I, and that's why I'm never interested in really splitting hairs about nothing <laughs> because. Because in my mind, the Spirit always makes that automatic interpretation that it's all connected, that these are the same teachings. But Jesus, in His Course, is using symbols in a little bit different way. Like, for example, in non-dual teachings, you know, sometimes you'll even hear quantum physicists now and, and non-dual teachers talking about consciousness is the ground of being. Well, 
the way that the non-dual teachers use consciousness is very different from the way Jesus Christ uses the term consciousness in A Course in Miracles. When, when you read about consciousness as the ground of being, or just go into a state of pure consciousness or whatever, when you read the Course, there's going to be a, a big difference in, in words. Because Jesus says in the Course that consciousness is the domain of the ego. I mean, when you read that from Jesus, it's like, oh my God, now I've got a question all my beliefs about consciousness. Because you're saying consciousness is the domain of the ego. Jesus says consciousness did not even arise until the belief in separation. And he does go on to explain that consciousness has levels. And consciousness can be trained. You know, remember the 60s? You know, raise your consciousness and higher consciousness. And I mean, that's what I grew up with. I've, I was a child of the 60s and the 70s. So I'm thinking of, I thought high consciousness sounds good to me. And Jesus is like, yeah, it is good. Because the higher you go in training your mind, you come closer to unified awareness. And that's what Muji, when they talk about consciousness and in, in the purest sense, it's talking about the happy dream, or the, the real world, Jesus calls it, or the forgiven world. You know, it's all the same. All the teachers are talking about the same thing, except you, you have to really investigate a bit into the nuances and let the Spirit kind of show the way. So I hope that's helpful, because um, I find a lot of times with people that are spiritual aspirants and they're on the journey, they, they do get caught up into the vernacular, and they do, sometimes they split hairs and even seem to get into a bit of arguments around the terminology. When the, the first, one of the first two students of A Course in Miracles was William Thetford, and the story goes, William Thetford was at A Course in Miracles meeting one time, and two Course in Miracles students got involved into an argument over the interpretation of a paragraph in A Course in Miracles. And then Bill, who was very quiet, he hardly spoke at all in these groups, he spoke up and he said, better to tear the page out of A Course in Miracles than get into an argument with a brother. You know, it was, a, it was the Holy Spirit just came whooshing through him like, don't get caught up in in the words. And even with the Course, I would say it's more designed as a ladder. So the, the more your mind opens up, there's certain passages and certain words that will leap off the page when you're really ready to take it in. And it's, it's more like a symphony with many levels and layers that, that are just there for your own readiness, that, that it will light up. And I would say the same with anything. If, if People are reading Ramana Maharshi, or, or they're following Eckert as a pathway, or uh, Byron Katie and, and the work, or whatever, is, is give yourself fully over to the practical application of the pathway that, is, that you feel has been given you. And I had Jesus speak to me at one point, because I was very much, you know, looking at all the pathways, and really wanting to, to know a little bit about all the pathways, almost like a composite religion. And Jesus said, pick your path and go deep. In other words, don't skim 
the surface of spiritual writings and, and even sacred scriptures. Don't skim the surface. I want you to, to practice this with all your heart, and I want you to transfer the training to your entire perception, and I want you to go into a living experience of this. Whereby, in the end, he said, you will, you will transcend the theology of A Course in Miracles. Uh, and I was just like, oh. So, on one hand, you know, I'm, I'm pouring myself into it fully. On the other hand, he's like saying, listen, we're going into an experience that's going to go beyond theology by a long way, uh, beyond the words, beyond the concepts. But I thank you for bringing that up, because uh, I know there's a lot of people that, like yourself, you had a teacher who was versed in the Course, and uh, a number of non-dual teachings, and these, your questions, uh, of all of them that you sent in, that was the one that I felt like I could share with you that would offer a blessing, you know, to all those that are really sincerely working on this pathway. So thank you. Okay, we've got about uh, 19 minutes left, and that's, uh, well, maybe 10.49. Oh, we've got about 10 minutes left, a little bit over 10. So I would like to uh, say, let's open it up. Let's just... Uh, Nicholas, you can just look at the, the group of beloveds all across the world, and if you see a hand go up of somebody who either has a, a comment, a miracle to share, a question, at this point I would love to uh, hear from the participants. Wonderful. Yeah, well, I see that Raquel would like to speak with you, so I'm going to go ahead and unmute her. Hi. hi yes hi hi uh, hi david um i um i was listening to you and one thing one thing that really helped me i've been in training for two years um was i was told in the very first day um how to differentiate what it is and what is not and then was a tip like a if you, if you feel something different than peace and joy, then it's an illusion. Then it's not. It's not true. And then I've been, you know, I've been um, practicing that. Then every time that something uncomfortable, um, can be an emotion, can be a physical pain, anything that is not comfortable, then that is the, the sign that I am in the in the insane side of the mind, I'm not insanity. Then, um, then I ask for for help, of course. Another person, I call my a teacher or or a tutor, and then they help me to come back to the. Uh -huh. oh, that's beautiful. I, I don't know if uh, that would be helpful for someone. If you are not feeling comfortable about peace or joy, then that means that is not true. Yeah. Uh, what is a relief? <laughs> yes, yes. If, even though we feel like it's real, it's not. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Raquel. That's that's so beautiful that you're sharing that, because Jesus says the one right use of judgment is how do you feel? And so that's your your touchstone, your barometer. That's that's what you use, your litmus test of, 
of am I in insanity or am I lined up with the, uh, the Holy Spirit and Jesus in the same mind? And and it's beautiful. And also, it's so beautiful that you you call a tutor, a teacher, a mentor, a friend at that point because it's there's a joining that takes place that helps bring immediate illumination. And that's so beautiful that you're witnessing to that. And also, too, the, the ego is so clever that what it does is it, it generates a world of seeming duality. So even with pleasures and pains, um, which can both seem to be quite different, um, one can seem to be uncomfortable, the pain, and one can seem to be exceedingly comfortable, the pleasure, that even the nuances there where, where Jesus says that pleasure and pain both reinforce the reality of the body. So we're going for joy, and that's what you mentioned, the peace and the joy. Uh, you're zooming in, using the basic discernment, the most basic, simple discernment is, do I feel the peace? Do I feel the joy? And if not, you just have a willingness to be shown uh, another way. And so thank you for sharing that. That's a beautiful witness for all of us. Another thing is um, uh, that I, I, is my understanding, individuality is the source of uh, all the suffering. Then, um, then I'm living here now <laughs> in the U.S. And this, um, I'm originally from Argentina, and I study in Brazil. Uh, I've been training. I've been training in a, uh, in Brazil online. And um, then we say, okay, uh, we believe that we're individuals, <laughs> and that is the source of all pain. Um, um, just the only thing that I want to say, and thank you so much. I listen to you always through the to the app. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, Raquel. Thank you, Raquel. Um, we have Irene that would like to speak with you next, so I'll go ahead and unmute her. I um. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I just have to tell you, I just finally, um, last night after listening to everybody and I was listening to Lisa and everybody talking about the smoking and all that. And, and, um, my thing now is like sugar, you know, and I was listening to everything and I was going to bed and I ate this sugar. And then this morning before I was getting up, I was like believing the effects of the sugar were going to like keep me separate from today and what was going to happen. And, Anyway, I just got up and I was doing my meditation and all of a sudden I realized that the thought was what was causing this foggy, not the candy I ate last night. And so I went in and went, anyway, I, it's like I just saw what this guilt was and the underlying belief like way, 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 way back is that I messed up somewhere and never could fix it. I mean, I could never fix it. It's like a crack that I keep trying to hide and hide and hide and hide and hide. And uh, anyway, I just had this whole, it's almost like this little crunchy hard thing inside of me went down. And then this, it's like this, I don't know, there's like this, anyway, I don't know if I could put it into words what happened, but all of a sudden I realized the forgiveness 
is a constant thing in every single second in my mind that I always thought I was supposed to know and fix it over and over and over. And so the forgiveness is like a constant every single time the thought veers away from anything of that wholeness. And anyway, I was just sitting here today. And it's like, I, I don't know if I can put into words what's happening, but um, the whole it's like I've never seen the whole before. And when everybody was, t- when you were talking about now, what do you do now? That's why I was sitting there thinking, well, I don't have to really think about what to do now. I just have to keep forgiving every second where I think I'm supposed to know what I'm supposed to do. Cause that's been the whole freaking problem the whole time <laughs> is that I keep thinking I'm supposed to know over and over and over. And that's the mistake. And there was this, this morning I, I realized Jesus has been speaking to me in songs, words from songs keep coming in, keep coming in. And my favorite is the one recent was No Matter What You Do by Badfinger. The lyrics to that has just made me bawl. But anyway, so the the there's this other voice coming in, keeps talking. And I've finally been like turning and looking at it and saying, why do you have to keep telling me? Who are you telling? If you have to keep telling me something that I already know, then you I don't need to hear you anymore. And it just got really quiet. And then there's like, I don't need to be told by something outside of me what it is I am. Anyway, it just got really quiet. So I I don't really, I don't know if I even have any question right now, except to just stay right there in that, forgive this every second, every second, every second, every second. And then when you talked about committing to one way because I have done all the things you talked about Eckhart Tolle, Byron Katie, 12 Steps and of Course in Miracles is the only one that actually gave me a purpose for all the other stuff because I always thought all the other stuff I was doing was still to build a better ego me and the Course is the only one that answered the question absolutely that it's not about there's something beyond that because none of that stuff ever satisfied. And so I guess where I am is I'm just going to be asking constantly, how do I stay true to the course and let it show me where I can bring that truth to anything else in my, in this physical life, you know, whether it's at a meeting or whether it's, you know, in, in my family anywhere. And uh, so right now I guess I'm in the place where I don't know shit and it's, <laughs> A real big relief. So thank you so much. Oh, Irene, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, we are so connected. You know, it's like once we're in this tractor beam of, of, of not knowing, and yet also with a a great humbleness uh, to be shown. Like, show me, show me, show me, and we realize it's all it's all our own lesson in a sense of, of mine. It's not anybody else's lesson. And we don't have to analyze anything and figure it out. It it does get quite quiet. It sounds like you had a like a beautiful firm moment. Like I don't need to be told by you, ego, who I am and what I need to do and what I need to work out and everything. I I need to just stay open and willing every second to stay aligned and tuned in. And as long as you do that, that is the practice. That is the the spiritual practice. You've got, you've, Eureka, you've got, you've found it. Now all you're going to do is p- apply it and practice it without exception, the best that you can. Like the workbook, it's the same thing. 
So I'm just so grateful for what you shared, and you just were a great witness for all of us to to zoom in on the simplicity of that and not be distracted by anything else that, that is not really important. So thank you, and thank you all. I think we've they've just shown me that we've just come up to the top of the hour, and please come back in in a couple hours from now. Uh, Jason will be showing uh, an amazing movie. I'm not going to give away the title because sometimes you like to go and check things out, but I'm just going to use the word grace. Grace. It's We're going into grace, and we do that through starting to realize that we we can't really interpret and we can't figure out the things of this world, but we don't ultimately need to. We need to be able to let go of thinking we already know what things mean, we already know uh, what the interpretations are, and make way for this glorious unified interpretation of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that, that, are, that is so pristine and so loving and so blessing and all-inclusive. So, thank you all. Thank you so much for participating and being a part of this today. I wish I could just go hug all of you out there. I just love seeing your smiling faces. And we're here to, to walk with each other hand in hand into the light and, we, and to stay in this joy of this moment and trust. And, and as far as what is to be given, we love joining together in prayer and we love joining together in inner listening. And uh, I feel like that's what we'll be doing as we continue on in this uh, amazing weekend. So thank you all, and enjoy the movie. Enjoy, Jason.